sleeping through the offering today. Well, in our series in Luke, we've come to the Gerizine demoniac in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, but don't turn there. We're not doing it. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. I, uh, I started going through the passage and I was going to just, you know, do a miracle and preach on 15 verses or whatever that is. And uh, I thought, no, 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 this is not the way to do it. So I added a point and I added another point and pretty soon I had so many points. I just set that all aside and wrote a whole new sermon. And uh, this is going to be introduction to the Gerizim demoniac. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, we're going to be looking at just a whole bunch of selected scriptures today that all tell us about angels. And uh, we're going to kind of get up to speed on angels and and uh, demons and Satan and all of that. And then we're going to look at our passage, which is the most extensive passage in the New Testament uh, that describes a case of demon possession. Now, in our text here in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, Elijah the prophet has been taken up into heaven into, you know, with the whirlwind and then the flaming chariot. And his successor... Elisha has taken over his ministry, calling Israel to repentance and obedience to God. And in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 8 through 14, we read that the king of Aram was warring against Israel and uh, was preparing to set an ambush up and attack Israel. Well, Elisha sends a messenger to the armies of Israel and says, Hey, I just want you to know uh, the bad guys are after you. They're going to try and get you. And so the Israelites are able to escape from the ambush that was going to happen uh, to them. Well, this made the king of Aram furious. So he inquired about Elijah, Elisha found out that he was living in the city of Dothan and at nighttime sent his entire army to capture him and they totally surround the city. And so in our text in verse 15 through 17, this is what happened in the morning after the city was surrounded by the army. Now, when the attendant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I mean, obviously the guy is frightened, and you can understand why he's frightened. The whole city is surrounded now by an army, and they're all after Elijah. I mean, it's pretty bad when a whole army is after you. So the servant is uh, very distraught. Verse 16, so he answered, Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I'm sure the servant is looking around going, there's only two of us. (laughs) Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Now, who were those with them? Who were who, who was riding those horses and who were who were in those chariots? 
Well, that's just like some, is this some symbolic passage? No. No, they were real. Literal horses, literal chariots. But they were not of this realm. And if you read on, you will discover that the heavenly army blinded the Arameans, actually didn't make them blind, but just kind of put them into a mental stupor so that Elisha and his servant marched the whole army right into the camp of Israel and then they snap out of it and lo and behold, there they are surrounded by the enemy. Hey, let's make friends. So if someone ever asks you, are there horses in heaven? You can say, yes. They're spoken of here. They're spoken of in Zechariah. They're spoken of in Revelation. So there are spiritual horses that exist in the spiritual realm. That's fun to think about. But who are those riding on those horses? Who, who was in those flaming chariots? Angels. Angels. Real spiritual beings that exist in the spiritual realm. Now that's kind of fun to think about. At least it is for me. That there are entire armies of angels in heaven. And what's interesting is they aren't just in heaven, they're in the spiritual realm, which overlaps with the physical realm that we live in. Elijah, Elisha and his servant were living on earth. The situation was happening on earth. And those angels and the chariots and the horses were there on earth the whole time. And see, this is what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, well, oftentimes we think of heaven as someplace far away or the spiritual realm as far away. This is the physical realm and heaven is far away. No, it's not. It's overlapping. At least the spiritual realm is. We live and exist in a spiritual realm. But God has only given us eyes to see physical things. But that does not mean that those spiritual things don't exist all around us. When the heaven, heavenly realm is uh, uh, exposed, it's not some you know bleached out fog bank where people sit around trying to figure out how to play a harp, bored to death, and singing to one another with bad voices. That's how Hollywood portrays it. I talked to one person one time and they said, why, why would I want to go to heaven? I mean, all you're going to do is just, what, sit around in a cloud all the time? Hello? Who told you that? Well, I don't know. Isn't that what the Bible says? No. That's what Hollywood says. Isn't it interesting that whenever Hollywood portrays some sort of evil, demonic place, it's very interesting and engaging. But when it's heaven, it's a bleached out cloud bank with a bunch of bored people. Pling, pling. You see, we live in a spiritual realm and a physical realm, but we can only see in the physical part. Angels exist in the spiritual realm. And the angels see everything that is going on in this earth and what is going on in the heavenly places. We, though we are caught up in the spiritual realm as far as worshiping a God who lives there and being ministered to by angels who are there and tempted by demons and Satan who are there. Yet we don't see that it's going on, but it is going on. 
And I think a lot of Christians don't really think about it that much. As a matter of fact, they're pretty clueless about it. And I would imagine that most people go through uh, quite a bit of their life never even stopping to contemplate that they exist in a physical realm that is also encased with the spiritual realm. And even though they can't see it, all of this stuff is going on all the time around them. Angels who are spiritual beings work to minister to people who live in the physical world. Now, think about this. What if God were to give us all spiritual sight like Elisha's servant, and right now we could see into the spiritual realm? What do you think we would see? Think there would be a bunch of angels here kind of hovering around, a couple of them holding me, you know, helping me preach and gesture? Uh, Do you think that uh, next to you, you would have a guardian angel sitting on the chair, you know, kind of like the the haunted house in Disneyland? When you leave there, there's a little green man on your lap. I mean, what are they doing? Can they hear me right now? Are they listening right now to me talk about them, wondering about what they're like, and they're all smiling, going, he'll figure it out eventually. (laughs) What about demons? You think demons are here? You think they're scared to go into church? You think hymns drive them away? Do you think they're maybe here more than any other place trying to snatch away the word and distract people from listening to the word of God and worshiping God? It's just a mystery, isn't it? It is a mystery. And although these specific questions we just can't answer exactly, the Bible tells us a lot about angels and demons and what they do and how they function. All through the Bible, we have accounts of of temptations and demons and angels showing up to people. And if we can go to all those passages and kind of look at them and synthesize them, we can get a really good picture, not of everything we want to know about angels and demons and Satan in the spiritual realm, but everything God wants us to know, everything we need to know about those realms. When you read your Bible... Uh, You're going through the Gospels and Acts. It describes people who are demon-possessed. Well, what is demon possession anyways? And why did Jesus encounter so many demon-possessed people? And we don't seem to encounter them today. Are people still demon-possessed today? And if so, are Christians supposed to do anything about it? Can Christians be demon-possessed? Do Christians have to be worried about Satan taking total control over them? Does Satan cause us to sin? What about those who claim to be able to cast out uh, demons out of people? Can they do that? Are they for real? Where did Satan and his demons come from? Can Satan read your mind? Can he be in more places than one? Can Satan and demons, uh, if they combine their forces, be almost as powerful as God? Are they free to do what they want? Go where they want? When they want? What are Satan and demons doing right now in relationship to unbelievers in the world? What are they doing right now in relationship to believers? How do you know when you are being tempted by Satan or a demon or it's just your own sinful heart? Does God want you to command Satan? Does he want you to bind Satan in Jesus' name? Does God want you to seek encounters with Satan and demons so you can bind him or speak to him or get information from them? Is God in control of Satan and demons? And if he is, then why are they allowed to tempt people? Why is Satan, the the God of this world, why is he roaming about like a roaring lion seeking to someone to devour? And if God's so sovereign, why doesn't he just put an end to it? 
Well, there are many more questions we can answer. That's just a few of them. And by the grace of God, we have the authoritative resource on angels, Satan, demon, and the spiritual realm. Bingo. The Bible. This is the only authoritative source. Now, there are books written based on the Bible, and the degree to which those Bibles, uh, those books adhere to the Bible, they can be authoritative also. But this book alone is the authoritative book. You can go to any library or bookstore and you can find a lot of information about angels and demons and, you know, the paranormal, which is another way of describing, uh, you know, the spiritual realm. And there is so much fiction out there in the world about demons and Satan. And most Christians have no idea how to answer questions like the ones I just raised. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know is the answer. In fact, most professing Christians have a terribly distorted view of angels and demons. I've had people come into my office, say things that I just thought, who told you that? Well, I was reading a fiction book. It's a fiction book. Fiction, not real. But do you know why that people don't have a good understanding of angels and Satan and demons? It's because we're being bombarded by books and TV shows and movies that are not based on the Bible, but on the imaginations of men who are slaves of the evil one. Now, the next passage we come to in the Gospel of Luke is, of course, is the Gerizim demoniac. And... uh, The problem is, is when I started going through the passage, I thought, you know, people don't really know anything about this. I should probably add a point about that. And then I would go along and think, you know, I need to take a rabbit trail here. Pretty soon there were so many rabbit trails in the sermon. I thought, well, I'm just going (laughs) to combine all the rabbit trails up front. And then we'll look at the passage after we do that. (laughs) But when you think about it, why is there so much false teaching about Satan and demons and angels in the world today. How come? Why is that? Well, as I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, the best thing to do, instead of just, you know, doing the Gerizim demoniac in one fell swoop and leaving everybody mystified, we're just going to spend this week and next week and I don't know how long. We're going to go slow. We're going to beat this subject into powder. And get everybody up to speed. Then we'll get into the text. And so for the next week or two or so, we'll we'll figure out about angels and demons and Satan and all of that stuff. And then we'll get into our text and then we'll really be uh, informed. We'll be able to understand what is going on. So we're going to have uh, what are kind of a several you know, sermons that are kind of systematic theologies. Uh, a synthesis of all what the Bible says on different topics. Angelology, the study of angels. Demonology, the study of demons. Satanology, the study of Satan. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And so just so you know, that's what's coming up the next couple Sundays. Now having our minds enlightened to the word of God concerning these things, we'll be able to examine our text much better. And I just want you to know the scales are probably really going to fall off of some of your eyes when we start going through these things. Because I know for a fact that most people 
don't really understand what's going on all the time around them. So this morning I want to address four categories or facts about angels so that you can begin to form a biblical worldview about them so that you won't be led astray by the world. And so you will be encouraged and thankful that God has created multitudes of spiritual beings for the express purpose of being a blessing to you, even though you never see them. You never see them. The first point is this. Don't get your information about angels, Satan, and demons from the wrong sources. Think about this. I don't know if you ever have or not. That the world is obsessed with angels and demons and the supernatural. It is obsessed. At the same time, they're trying to get rid of who? God. Does that tell you something? Think of the TV shows of the past, uh, you know, Highway to Heaven and Joan of Arcadia and Touched by an Angel and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel and the X-Files, all dealing with angels and demons and supernatural things. How many of those shows are biblically accurate? None. Nada. Nippon. Yet. None. None of them. Not a single one. There are no mainstream shows on the air that have a biblical view of these things. Now I'm confident if I were to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to, but if I were to ask you, how many of you ever watched any of these shows, probably everybody's hand almost exclusively would go up. I remember I was in a hotel room, I was surfing on a, the, the, I came to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I thought, you know, there was a scene, and she was, I think, driving some dagger and some, you know, vampire's heart or something. I thought, what is this show? I thought, this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer? What is that? And you know, it went on for years. A very popular show. Touched by an angel. Oh, I love Touched by an Angel. <laughs> and you know, so, okay, we've done that. We've, we've looked at some shows. All right. And you may be thinking to yourself, but Jack, you know, I think obsessed is too strong of a word. You know, yes, there are shows out there that deal with these things, but you know... I don't think obsession is probably the right word to use here. There is, uh, a, you know, an element of those kind of things on the air. Well, I did, did a little research. And uh, I just typed in, you know, TV shows, uh, supernatural, whatever. I came across a paranormal site that just happened to list all the cool paranormal sites on TV. And paranormal is a term used, uh, a kind of a scientific term used by those who hate God to describe what is spiritual. Okay, And so the site said, quote, the growing interest in the paranormal is reflected in the 2005-2006 TV season, which offers a bumper crop of shows, end quote. And then they listed them. Day-by-day listing of shows. Listen to this. Sunday, you have Charmed in its eighth season. Three witches, you know, do their witchcraft stuff. Later on, you also have on Sundays the 4400 or whatever, 4,400, I don't know how it's pronounced, I've never seen it, about an extraterrestrial craft that touches down in the Pacific Northwest, and 4,400 people emerge, all of whom were presumed to be dead before, but now have come back with supernatural powers. 
You have the dead zone about a man who awakes from a coma to discover his psychic powers. If Sunday's offerings are not enough, you can do Mondays. Oh, Mondays. You can watch Medium. Oh, uh, a hit show in its second season about a psychic detective who helps police solve difficult cases. If Monday, you know, you're busy, there's always Tuesdays. You can watch Supernatural, a program about two brothers who drive around the country in their 69 Chevy Impala. And as they're driving around in their Paula trying to fulfill the quest of their father who has mysteriously disappeared, who was trying to find the case of why their mother, who was murdered 20 years ago. And if, if you're busy on Tuesday, there's always Wednesday where you can watch Ghost Hunters about a team of people with high-tech equipment who supposedly are able to monitor ghost activity in haunted locations. Tuesday Awful offers One Step Beyond, a program where that examines ghosts and psychic paranormal phenomena. You also have Lost, you know, which is just, you know, the incredible program that everybody talks about. You know, the plane, I mean, you know better than I do. I don't even have a TV, but... The plane crash and the deserted island, and they, you know, there's supernatural paranormal, you know, themes going on in the island. Tuesday also offers invasion about extraterrestrial beings that are existing among us, but undetected. And if that doesn't work, you know, there's always, uh, Thursday, where you have, you know, Night Stalker, uh, a resurrected series which focuses on investigating supernatural mysteries. Or Friday's Ghost Whisperer, about a young woman who can communicate with spirits of the dead. Or Threshold, about a cargo freighter encounters an extraterrestrial spaceship out at sea. Or Most Hunted, which chronicles investigations about uh, some of the most haunted locations in Europe. The only night left undetected is is Saturday, and, and they're probably going to put Ghost Encounters there. A ghost Encounters, a whole bunch of researchers going out... Um, uh, solving mysteries and investigating uh, spiritually haunted houses around the world. And after service, somebody came up to me and said, that's nothing. There's a lot more than that was listed. (laughs) And that's not to mention all the movies that are constantly coming along that have these kind of themes. Let me just ask you a few more questions to get you thinking about this. Who is the God of this world? Okay, good answer. Satan. Who is the spirit who's working the sons of disobedience? There we go. All unbelievers are their father who? There we go. All unbelievers are held captive to do whose will? There we go. All unbelievers will of, uh, 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 all, all unbelievers, um, uh, no, we already said that one. What is, uh, what is the unseen force promoting false doctrine that unbelievers perpetuate? Satan, demons, those are easy questions. I mean, they're all the same answer. So uh, I tried to make it easy for you. Let me just ask you this. Why is Satan working through his children to promote so much false doctrine about himself, demons, angels, and the supernatural? Why? Do you think it's just because he's bored? No. Do you think he has a purpose? Absolutely. The question is, what is that purpose? What is that purpose? Well, in general, his purpose is to promote error and deceive and delude as many people as he can. More specifically, his purpose is to steal glory from God by undermining the truth of God's word so that people believe lies rather than truth. And his primary goal is to damn as many people as he can to hell. He knows he's going there, and so he wants to take as many people with him. 
So what I want you to do is we're going to be looking at some different texts. I'm going to have you turn to some, and then after a while, you know, your Bible will probably catch fire. We're going to be going so fast. But turn to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. The disciples have come to Jesus, asked him what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus is now talking about those signs that are going to be leading up to the end of the age. And he says this in Matthew 24, verse 11. Look there. He says, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Now again, false prophets are motivated by who? Satan. That's right. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 also speaks of the same thing. They are motivated and behind all false teaching are demons or Satan. Now, if you look down at Matthew 24, 24, you read for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Notice their goal is to mislead many, as many as they can. They do that by distorting the truth, getting people to believe a lie. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians 2. Same type of theme in 2 Thessalonians 2. We have... Paul speaking to the Thessalonians about the Antichrist who will come about during the tribulation right before the second coming of Christ. So he's describing what's going on. And in verses 8 and following, we read this. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth, speaking of the Antichrist, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved notice what it says there that the antichrist is going to come in accord with the activity of satan with all power all signs all false wonders with all deception of wickedness to deceive people. That is pretty ollie. That That is extreme, isn't it? So when a miracle happens, don't just say, well, it's a miracle, it's of God, because it doesn't mean that. Satan can do miracles, and he would love to do a miracle for anybody in order to damn them to hell or to get them to believe a lie. Huh, not a problem. Turn over to Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, we have pretty much the same context, speaking of what is going on during the tribulation. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, we read about the Antichrist. And right, this text is talking about the false prophet who helps out the Antichrist. Uh, it's called the beast. The other beast. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it 
was given to him, given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had a wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, do you see that? Do you see those signs, wonders, powers, deceptions? He says there's even going to be an image, a statue that's going to speak. And people are going to go, where are the wires? They're not there. And it's going to make people believe, believe in a deception and believe in a lie. Turn over to Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. Here, John is describing the demonic activity immediately preceding the battle of Armageddon. And look at what the text says in verse 13. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Just stop there for a second. Talk to any uh, little boy who's into bugs and spiders and snakes and frogs and things. And they will be able to tell you that frogs catch their prey with their tongue. You got it. They deceive with their tongue. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. These demons are working, speaking, manipulating, deceiving men to gather them together for the battle of Armageddon. Finally, turn over to Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. This is uh, the judgment of the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist and his false prophet. Verse 20, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. What do all these texts teach us? They teach us this, that as the end of the age approaches, there is going to be more satanic and demonic activity. More deceptions, more signs, and more wonders that are wrought by Satan and his demons for the express purpose of deceiving people. And what's amazing is, is we live in a sophisticated modern society. A technological society. And we don't believe in God anymore. We believe we evolved and, you know, by chance crawl out of primordial slime. And, you know, the whole God thing. We're trying to get God out of school and get him out of everything in our world. But you know what? At the same time, we're not trying to get the supernatural out. Man, we are pushing demons, unbiblical views of demons, unbiblical view of Satan, unbiblical view of angels, unbiblical view of the supernatural, full court press, massive Massive effort to program society to believe what is a lie so that when the end time comes, people who live in a sophisticated world will be able to accept the supernatural phenomena that is going on today. This is why the God of this world is saturating society with unbiblical concepts of himself, angels, demons, and the supernatural. Satan is preparing people for what is to come. Now, if you think about it, if I said, hey, why don't you uh, go get a doctoral degree? You only have to go to school six nights a week. People go, no, I'm not going to do that. And yet Satan has everybody taking correspondence courses six nights a week. 
on TV, in special seminars, at the movies, and in books. He is training the world in error, and most Christians don't even realize what's happening. But you need to realize it's happening. That's why I'm doing this. You need to realize that the only authoritative source for information about demons and Satan and the spiritual realm and all that stuff is the Bible. But you may be thinking out there, well, Jack, Jack, I, I, I go to Calvary Bible Church. I know this. And, you know, yes, I admit I've, you know, seen some of these things, read some of these things, heard some of these things, but I'm not being led astray. Oh, really? Let's just see. Right now, it's time to throw down. We're taking a quiz. You know, if you're brave enough, you can pull out a pencil or a pen so that the person next to you can see how many you got wrong. (laughs) But if you don't want them to know, then you can just do it in your head. But to try and see how many you get wrong, 15 questions, true, false, It's going to be easy. Now, I've got to go fast. I don't have a lot of time here. So you can't sit there and ponder the answer. True or false? You have to put it down. T-F. Here we go. One. True or false? Satan and his demons used to be holy angels. True. Secondly, true or false? Satan has been cast down to earth. False. He's in Job in heaven. He's in Zechariah in heaven. He's in Luke chapter 10. He's in heaven. And he's still in heaven in Revelation chapter 12. He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working in the heavenly realms. Oh, bummer. Well, you have to mark that one wrong. Three, true or false, Satan and demons can possess believers. False. True or false, there are male and female angels. False. I'm sorry. But that person on top of your Christmas tree with the dress, that's just a woman. And those wings are fake. Five, true or false, Satan and demons are free to tempt whoever they want, whenever they want. False. True or false, Satan sometimes causes believers to sin. False. He never does. Each one is tempted and carried away by their own lust. (laughs) Seven, true or false, believers in the church are called upon at times to cast out demons. False. There is no instruction in the New Testament which tells us, even mentions demon possession or what to do about it. Eight, true or false, Christians are called upon to bind Satan through prayer. False. Jesus used the binding of Satan referring to himself as the strong man in an analogy when they accused him of casting out a demon by the power of Satan. True or false? Satan is the only demon named in the Bible. Ah, who is he? No, Legion doesn't count. (laughs) Legion is a name. That's a number. Legion, we are many. We'll be there in Luke 8. Apollyon. Apollyon. Hmm, too bad. All right. (laughs) 10, true or false? The Bible teaches that people have guardian angels. True. 
true. Oh, bummer. True or false? Angels are actively working in the lives of every believer. True. True or false? The Bible says that two different kinds of angels are cherubim and seraphim. False. Oh. They're never called angels in the Bible. They're called living creatures, but never called angels. Oh, too bad. 13, true or false, Christians will rule over angels in the future. True. True or false, Christians are called upon to command Satan and demons in the name of Jesus. False. As a matter of fact, false teachers are those who revile angelic majesties. But even Michael the archangel, Jude says, did not dare to pronounce against Satan a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I mean, he said, I'm not going to rebuke you. We'll let Jesus do it. 15, true or false? The Bible says angels have wings. False. Mm. So just trim those things off, that decoration. It says cherubim and seraphim have wings. But if it's a seraphim up there, you better have six wings. So you have to say, well, that's a female cherub um, on top of that tree. So with God as your witness, how many of you missed five or less? Raise your hand right now. We want to see. Well, you praise God. If you only missed five, you got a D. A D. If you got 11 to crack, that would be a C. 12 to 13 is a B because I'm gracious. And 14 and 15 would be an A. And if you want to get extra credit, you have to answer this question correctly. It's not true or false, but here's the question. I'll give you five points for this. (laughs) Where are extra wicked angels kept until the day of judgment? Answer, Tartarus. 2 Peter 2.4. The NASB translates it, Pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. But in the Greek, it's Tartaros. Think of what you put fish in. There you go. Okay, well, hopefully you got that one right and redeemed yourself. So, what have we learned so far? Don't let the world instruct you about angels. Don't let it instruct you about Satan. Don't let it instruct you about supernatural things or demons because the world is lying to you big time you have to know what the word of god says so that you don't get led astray into these errors and what happens is is you don't even realize it's like all those christmas songs we sing and after a while we begin to think that that wise man came to jesus when he was a baby they didn't So, moving on. Know what angels are. The word angel basically has the same meaning in both the Old Testament and New Testament. It means messenger. Messenger. Angels are created spirit beings. Some teach that angels existed before creation, but the Bible doesn't teach this. The Bible teaches that heaven and earth and all they contain were created in six days. Now, some people say, well, that's just the physical things. Well, we don't know for sure. But if angels were created before creation, then that means there's two creation accounts. And the Bible only speaks of one. 
For instance, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, Moses, speaking of the Sabbath day, said, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Six days. So if included in heavens there is the spiritual heavens and the physical heavens, then they were created during those days. In Job 38, 4 through 7, a lot of people like to go to this verse and say, see, they were created before because a God speaking to Job, when this is when he starts asking him all those questions he doesn't know the answers to, he says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurement since you know? Or who stretched out a line in it? Or what are its uh, bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? And the phrase there, morning stars and sons of God, are references to angel. But it doesn't say they're created before creation. It just says they sang at the time of creation. So they could have been created the first day and when it was all done, or the second day when it was all done, or the third day when it was all done. The whole point is, is it doesn't say they're created before in Psalm 148, 2 through 5, there is a psalm which says, Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, highest of heavens and the waters that are uh, above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Well, every other thing that's mentioned there was created during the six days of creation. It'd be kind of odd if, you know, he's saying, well, yeah, this is a different creation account. I'm just kind of, you know, lumping all together. It could be, but I'm just saying that everything else was created during those six days. The same thing is true of Nehemiah 9.6, where Nehemiah says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. In Colossians chapter 116, speaking of Jesus being creator, it says, For by him that is Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And that phrase, thrones, dominions, and rulers and authorities are all references to different um, ranks or categories of angels. Again, everything mentioned there is all created during the six days of creation creation unless angels are an exception in addition to that if you go to the book of genesis you find out that after the six days of creation god said behold it is all very good right everything which god creates perfect there's no sin there's no evil everything is tov meal very good then in chapter 2, you have an expansion of the sixth, day, the sixth day of creation when God created man. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, do you remember how it begins? And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Which tells you what? It tells you that somewhere between very good, chapter 1, verse 31, and chapter 3, verse 1, evil has entered the picture. So it's probably best to understand that somewhere shortly after creation, God made the angels and almost immediately Satan rebelled with a third of the angels. We know it's a third from Revelation 12, which we'll get to eventually. And then the serpent being a rebellion against God went down to corrupt the people God had created out of malice and spite. Now, we've already talked about angels living in a spiritual realm. 
a spiritual realm that exists all around us and in, in instances overlaps with us. Just as demons who live in the spiritual realm can tempt us, so holy angels who live in the spiritual realm can help us out. And they do help us out and they minister to us in different ways. And when Satan rebelled and these other holy angels fell with him, do not confuse that with cast down to earth. Fall means fall morally. It doesn't mean fall down to earth. Remember that in the Old Testament, when the angels appeared to people, they usually looked like what? Men. And they didn't have wings popping out of their shirts or big lumpy shirts. Like, what's that huge thing in your shirt? Extremely large hunchback or something. No, they look like men. The Bible does describe cherubim and seraphim as having wings. They may be angels. It just never says they're angels. They're usually called living creatures. Now you might be wondering, well, Jack, how many angels are there? Well, let me tell you. Here's how many there are. Daniel chapter 7 verse 10. Uh, Daniel's having a vision of the throne of God, the ancient of days, one like the son of man. And this throne, it says, and a river of fire was flowing and coming from before him. And thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And the court sat and the books were opened. And uh, the word myriad means just whole bunches. It's a, that's all it means. It's just a lot. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, the author of Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. So there they get just whole bunches of them. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11, we have the largest really Greek term that describes uh, any sort of numerical value. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That's a lot. Notice here how the angels are listed distinctly from living creatures and from elders. So get this in your mind. There's not just a couple of angels. There's thousands of them. And if you were to be raptured right now, or if you were to die right now in a car accident, you would be able to see thousands of angels and living creatures and spiritual horses. Isn't that that cool? That is cool. That is neat. That's fun to think about. And to think that these angels are, are around you, ministering to you. You know, I, you know, I don't know if, you know, you, you have guardian angels. There's a, we'll get there eventually. But um, there's a text which Jesus talks about children having their angels. Like, you know, they have an angel assigned to them. And I, we don't know if it's just children only or everybody or just believers or children at first and then believers or whatever. But, you know, if you had a, an angel watching you all the time. That would make for some interesting conversation when you got to heaven. So did you see that? Mm, mm. And you were there when I mm, mm, don't even talk about it. And so when I went, yep, yep, yep. I, I, I saw everything. That is a, a deterrent. Think that there are heavenly hosts watching you all the time when no 
person is watching you here on earth, they are always watching. Now let's talk about the appearance of angels. What do angels look like? This is always fascinating. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, I think we know the story. This is the story of uh, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, that city that was judged because of their uh, gross immorality, engaging in homosexual acts. But in Genesis chapter 18, this is what we read. Uh, this is... Um, we're going back to where Abraham is with his wife, Sarah, and uh, this is what happens. In verse 2, And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And so this is just Abraham and there's three men coming by. He doesn't know where they come from. All of a sudden, three men showed up. And back then, hospitality was a huge deal. And so it's like he went down, he bowed himself to him and said, hey, you know, uh, come on in. Let me uh, fix you a meal here and, you know, tell me about yourself. It's kind of boring out there in the middle of nowhere. There's no shopping malls or tool shops. So, how are the angels described here? Men. They're men. But they're not uh, at all angels, as we shall see. But all we know from this point, all Abraham knew, is that they were men. In fact, one of them is none other than the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how, how do you get that, Jack? Well, look at verse 13. These three men are talking to Abraham about Sarah, laughing because she heard that she was going to have a baby in her old age, and she laughed. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Now, if you have, you know, most Bibles, you'll see the Lord there. It's in small caps. You know what that means? We're not talking about Adonai here, just kind of, you know, Lord as in master. This is the ineffable tetragrammaton. This is the yah hey yod This is the memorial name of God, the one that God gave Moses at the burning bush. This is God. The Lord God is speaking to Abraham. Now think about that one. This is what is called a theophany or an Old Testament appearance of God. And most people believe that all these Old Testament appearances of God are also Christophanies since he is the mediator between God and men. That this is actually Jesus before he was born appearing to Abraham, speaking to him. Now look down at verse 16. Then the men arose up from there and looked down towards Sodom and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. So the men still look like men. There's three of them. One we know now is the Lord, the very Lord God. Who are the other two? Keep reading. Look at verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then uh, God speaks to the other men a little bit. And look down at verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was standing before the Lord God. So Abraham, he's thinking these three guys have come to visit. He's standing there next to the Lord God. (laughs) That is a scary thought. And the two men have now gone down to Sodom. Now look at chapter 19, verse 1. Now when the two angels, 
angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting at the gate. Here we discover that two of these men are angels and one is the Lord God himself. And Abraham didn't even know it. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 13.2 says, referring to this, that, you know, did not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by, uh, for by this some have entertained angels, and he should have put in there the Lord God without knowing it. Oh, wouldn't that be painful? You get to heaven, oh, there's that guy. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, I remember seeing you there at my doorstep that one time. Yep. And I didn't let you in. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, that's uh, that's what's going on here. And the whole point is, is these angels, at least when they appeared in this circumstance, looked just like men. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have wings and God could have made them look like men to appear But the Bible doesn't say that. It just says they look like men. Uh, Some have said, for instance, that Satan, uh, Satan has, uh, you know, the power to turn himself into other forms, hence the serpent. Other people say, no, he just possessed the, the body of a serpent and spoke through the serpent. The Bible doesn't answer that question. So we don't know if angels can morph into other things, how many can fit in the head of a pin or whatever. There's another description of an angel at Jesus' tomb. It's kind of brief, but in Matthew 28, 3, it says, His appearance was like lightning and his garment was as white as snow. So, in other words, just this incredible, radiant being. But it doesn't give us much description other than that. There's the text we read in 2 Kings 6 about, uh, you know, the horses and the chariots of fire. It doesn't really mention angels, but, you know, somebody had to be riding them, so we'll put angels on them. And then in Exodus chapter 37, verses 7 through 9, it speaks of the cherubim that were placed on the lid of the ark. It describes them as having wings that are bent forward. And their faces pointing towards the center of the lid. And that center spot was the mercy seat. So we know that cherubim certainly have wings. If uh, you were to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. At the uh, kind of commissioning of Isaiah here. He talks about in the Lord of King Uzziah's death. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Lofty and exalted. The train of his robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above him. Each having six wings. Six wings. Think about that. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold uh, trembled at the voice of him who called out. And the temple was filling with smoke. And he said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then the seraphim flew over them, put a burning coal in his lip. Now, what's interesting here is here we have seraphim and they have six wings. Now, that is, they're going to be neat. I want to talk to a seraphim. Hey, how you doing? If you were to turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, there is just this... (laughs) psychedelic uh, description. This is the most detailed description we have of the seraphim. And it is just 
amazing. There's this whole vision of the throne of God. And starting in verse 5, it says, And within it there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had a human form. So in other words, they kind of had a human body. Now get that. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Now we've looked at some other ones. Seraphim, which have six wings. These are four living beings, which have four wings and four faces. And their legs are straight. Uh, Their feet were like a calf's hoof and they gleamed like burnished bronze. And under their wings and on the four sides were human hands. As the four faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn when they moved. Well, they didn't have to. They were always looking in the right direction. They had four faces. As for the form of their faces, each one had the face of the man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of the bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. And such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above and each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. Each went straight forward wherever the spirit was about to go and they would go turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like a burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from fire and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning pretty fast, huh? These creatures are described special creatures created by God, a face on each side of their head, hooves like calves, hands like humans, four big wings, two lifted up, two put down. They're supporting this throne. They're kind of God's chariot, how he gets around. They don't have to turn their head when they go anyplace because there's always a face looking in the right direction. Because there's four of them underneath in like quadrants underneath this platform, which is supporting the glory of God. That's how he gets around. That's his Lexus. There's one more text like this in Revelation chapter four. If you turn there, this is uh, one of those great worship scenes in heaven that John describes before he gets into the details of the tribulation. And in Revelation chapter four. Verse 5 and following, we read this. Out of, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center, around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front And behind, the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had a face like that of a man, the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God, the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits in the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you were, you created all things and because of you, your will, they existed and were created. 
And here we have again these same creatures, similar ones to the ones that appear. So we kind of have cherubim, I think have two wings, and then we have uh, seraphim, which have six wings, and then we have living creatures with four faces, uh, which may be a type of seraphim, I don't know, um, which have, you know, living creatures. I don't know. That's what's going on up there. So when you get up there, it's not going to be boring. Heaven is not going to be a boring place. You're going to go, wow, look at that one. God has made all of these creatures that exist in the spiritual realm. Well, there's more, but we run out of time. Here it is. Remember not to let the world instruct you about angels and Satan and demons and the supernatural because the world is only lying to you. Secondly, remember that angels are created spiritual beings. Third, remember there are lots of them that they often look like humans and they were created to minister to you. To you. They are God's gift to you. And when you get into heaven, you're going to discover just how much they ministered to you and ministered to other people throughout the ages. They are spirits sent to render service to the saints, Hebrews says. We'll get to that next week, Lord willing. But thank God. Thank God that these creatures are here. And if you want to know about angels, demons, and Satan, this is the source. Not fiction books, definitely not TV programs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we learned this morning. And although we're just beginning to delve into this fascinating area of angels and demons and Satan and this supernatural activity, I just pray that we would have a biblical understanding, that our understanding would be totally informed and guarded by your spirit and the word of God, that we would not be led astray to believe lies, that, Father, we would have a true and accurate understanding of what you want us to know. We know that all of these things are in your word because they are profitable for teaching teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness that we might be adequate and equipped for every good work so father help us to leave here thankful for what you have revealed to us help us to live every day remembering that there is an entire spiritual realm that is all around us and we are enveloped in it and father we are to live for the god who exists in that realm and to be thankful for all of the aid that he has given us even through the holy angels we pray this in christ's name amen If you are a visitor with us, please take time to uh, stop by our visitor center. If you need somebody to pray with you, uh, please come on over here. We have counselors who would love to do that. The rest of you, you are dismissed.